0: Today, the focus is on corporate governance and ESG disclosure in the EU. We brought out a report recently um, on this very important topic. This is not a topic that is recent. Uh, this topic has been around uh, for the last 10 years. Um, I would say immediately after the financial crisis, this discussion started to get going. It let in 2016 to CFA Institute publishing a report on corporate governance in the EU, which was really focusing on um, the revision of the shareholders' rights directive, which encompassed what what do shareholders expect? What can they they have a say in remuneration, in board accountability? That was a key change for the EU. And then after that, there was a silence, a radio silence. um, And suddenly in a in a storm of media interest and global interest, the green um, economy, the global green economy, climate change, sustainability, these all became buzzwords. And it led to really a very dynamic force at the EU level, which suddenly took the bit between its teeth right before any other uh, region of the world to reflections a high-level group on sustainability and it led to three very important pieces of legislation which came in 2019 which were on financial financial disclosures taxonomy benchmarks regarding the sustainability issue it meant a a, a global change because the eu of course re- legislates for its own purpose but it has a knockdown effect on other regions But what was being forgotten? That batch of legislation really was all about the E in ESG. A little bit on the S, but mostly on the E. And within the E, it was mostly on climate change. Um, CFA Institute believes that corporate governance is at the very heart of ESG. You need a framework. You need a discussion. You need to make sure that there is a a global consensus, but that there is transparency for investors, for the ultimate investor, the retail investor, but that companies also know what, what they need to do, that there's not too much of an onerous responsibility either. We're in pandemic times. Can we expect all this information? There are challenges in information publication, which we know at the moment, Asset managers and um, analysts need to get their information from multiple sources. Can you compare that? So that is a huge challenge. For us in 2021, we decided to be in advance of the EU agenda, which is going to be launching an action plan on sustainable corporate governance. And we came out early 2021 with a report on corporate governance and ESG disclosure. And we need to see that within a context. The context for us at CFA Institute, we published also recently a report on the future of sustainability, which looks at several diamonds which need to fit into a whole structure. I call them diamonds because the diamonds are strong but need to fit together. One, of course, is on ESG education. Another one is on system-level thinking, really regarding the system as a whole. That includes thoughts on, for example, the circular economy. Collaboration synergy, looking not just at thinking in a silo. So, for example, when sustainability was only being dealt with at the financial services directorate general of the EU commission, no, it needs to be addressed, obviously, in the environment, in the sector that looks at SME financing. It needs to be addressed in the digital um, area. So really that, that collaboration is key. Data, I mentioned it before, data. We need a, a reliable source of data that can be verified, that is easy to access. Sustainability innovation, we need to be original, thinking outside the box, not inside. Not, we can think of blue sky thinking. The world is ours to change and a purposeful culture. And culture is, of course, important. It's, again, that point of business conduct, making sure that we are responsible. We are professionals, but we are professionals for the ultimate investor. And that's at the very heart of what CFA Institute does. The pandemic is a catalyst in all of this. COVID-19 has highlighted the interconnectedness of the financial system and it also has shown how corporate value creation affects and is affected by the ecosystem in which it operates. So this is really um, a nurturing ground for that whole debate on the the governance of companies and the interaction of companies with their investors. So coming to, to the new report... We discovered in our 2016 report, when we looked at shareholders' rights, that there was a sweet spot. When we look at different perspectives of looking at the market, you have the shareholder perspective, the stakeholder perspective, and the open market perspective. The three can find a sweet spot, and that sweet spot is exactly where the corporate governance debate needs to be found. In the discussions on shareholders' rights, the European Parliament was much more focused on a multiple of stakeholders. Whereas the EU council, which represents member states um, and even uh, the EU commission was much more focused on shareholders. So again, we need to align these thoughts. We need to find that spot of, of, of interaction. Now, coming to our new report, we looked at the lack of consensus on the classification of ESG characteristics. This is inevitable. ESG is a dynamic concept and it's subject to broad interpretation, but that means it's a difficulty for the regulator to regulate. Greater transparency, still, we are so many years into discussing um, responsibility, transparency, There is very little still of that transparency, and it is a a difficult conversation. It's even more of a difficult conversation in pandemic times when you're trying to survive. So this, this again, how do we monitor it? Practitioners are also, in ESG disclosure, very concerned about the different pieces of legislation coming out of the EU, the contrasting language between what is being asked in non-financial reporting directive, for example, to the SFDR. This is an issue that the legislator needs to think of. We need very clarity in the legislative framework. So again, we also need to focus on the fact that we have listed companies and non-listed companies. CFA Institute was joined um, with other uh, stakeholders in an IPO task force where we discussed the lack of new listings. We discussed the problems of SMEs accessing finance, but we need to be careful. We don't need to give easier conditions to non-listed companies, um, because then it it becomes a problem later on. But maybe we should just think about how we structure that ease of access for SMEs to come to the market and how we deal with the information charge. So that really is quite a key issue. Then looking a little bit more in detail on non-financial reporting and the SFDR, We just need to iron out those inconsistencies. And again, um, there is an issue around the definition of materiality. Uh, We need to define sustainability risks. We need to look at international standards. And really, investors are very puzzled at the moment. And when we are now in March 2021 coming to applying um, many of these legislations, we, we need to be very clear what we are asking the the asset management, investment management community. So coming to also one of the other key issues we discussed in our report, and one that has been a focus of the Director General for Justice in the Commission, which deals specifically with corporate governance, was an issue for investors on due diligence across the supply chain. The European Commission in 2020 published a very important study on this. highlighting the fact, do we need to regulate? How far do we need to do this due diligence across the supply chain? First first line of suppliers, do we need to go beyond? Is it also perhaps an issue for some industries and not for others? We all know the problems around the clothing industry, but how, how, how do we make sure that we don't strangle either the, the requirements we place upon companies? Again, geopolitics might make all this due diligence very complicated. Um, companies like IKEA or other companies, or clothing companies, for example, that source across APAC or in the African region might find it very problematic with local legislation, transparency, etc. So again, how do we how do we deal with this? This is something that the Commission is still analysing at this moment and we need to be informed on on this debate. Again, we have an EU, we have a single market we're trying to build, but we have different corporate governance practices across the EU. Corporate governance is typically much more of a national remit. It is also a discussion, and that's quite interesting. Post-Brexit, there is a new look at what is corporate governance in the Anglo-Saxon term, what is corporate governance, perhaps on the continent, and that is linked to legislation and the way we look at law. Uh, on the continent, we have a more rigid uh, um, look at law. If something is in law, we apply it. If it's if it's a standard, perhaps it's it's not so evident for us to apply it. And this may be the case in in Germany. But again, how how do we look also at the practice of differential ownership rights? Uh, The discussion on dual-class shares has restarted again with uh, Lord Jonathan Hill and his proposal for review of listings, where he is actively looking at maybe easing back dual-class shares. CFA Institute has discouraged that. We want transparent one share, one vote. We know that the Loi Florange, for example, in France uh, created this difference as well. And we know that, of course, Europe is is, um, a backbone of SMEs. 80% of companies or more are SMEs, where traditional family holdings encourage these dual-class shares. But again, do we want outside investors? Do we want to create a transparency in that market? Then dual-class shares are a difficult issue. Now, again, what is also interesting is that companies possibly because of pandemic, but also maybe because of the social movements are now looking to include stakeholder interests and maybe establish a longer term horizon. Now, this is to be encouraged. Short term horizons um, don't drive a a, a closer link of the finance industry to the economy. And when we are looking at the EU recovery, we we definitely need a long term vision. And we need a re-equitization of the company as well. And this is, again, more focusing on the long term. There is, for example, in France, a new status for companies where you can say you're a company for public good. Danone, the uh, food company, uh, did this. But again, this is a complex issue because you may say uh, you are then a a company for the public good, but in the saying and the doing, there is still a difference. And we've seen in the press recently that Danone has uh, issues with this. One of their largest institutional investors wrote an open letter citing problems in corporate governance and long-termism and maybe addressing also the issue, for example, where the board, um, the CEO and the chairman of the board are one. And the same. Uh, this again, this highlights the difficulties you may want to achieve to be a company for the public good, but that debate is still very much at the beginning of it. In the Netherlands you have various associations of who represent investors who are very active on this and I think the Netherlands may very well lead in the coming discussions in the coming years on on this topic. Now, on on COVID-19, the pandemic, of course, the world has gone online, but this also means that annual general meetings have also gone online. With all the difficulties in that, can can a shareholder submit questions in advance? Uh, Are they engaging effectively? And not all companies have allowed for follow-up questions, for example. It's also quite easy in these online AGMs to ignore questions. So again, this leads to lower accountability. Now, the world post-pandemic, is it going to be hybrid? Is it going to be in person again? Nobody really knows. But again, this needs to be monitored and we need to make sure that accountability stays stays the same as it were in in person. So when we look at um, also what is a new movement is much more ownership on the part of employees. In our report, we had a discussion with the Association of Financial Users, Better Finance, and they are a very strong um, proponent of the share ownership plans for employees, saying that it is a good idea to align the interests of the employees with management, with shareholders and society, and really focus on what that company has as an imprint on its local and surroundings and what is what is the what is the effect actually of not only the company but also of that of the environment on the company so again looking at, at, at really building that ownership of that company is important why because we are in europe really lagging behind for example the us in terms of sort financial literacy can we start with employees? Employees getting, being concerned about what their company is doing, owning, um, building that ownership of the economy is important if we want to build a capital markets. The European Commission has raised the issue of financial literacy and financial education for investors. This is key. We need to build that sense of not just going to a bank and doing deposits or anything else, but it really, it's, it's, it's very fundamental to a societal change for, for the EU. So then looking at what was really a high point for this report is to be pragmatic and come out with action memorandum. So we have an action memorandum and a to-do list for each actor in the corporate governance chain. And to give you an example, As some suggestions for policymakers, we think that there should be stronger mechanisms for board accountability and representing minority shareholders, but also a much greater dialogue between European and national regulators and other European organisations to look at the standards and build convergence. Again, offer clarifications on the regulations currently coming into place on sustainable finance in order to provide both companies and investors with better understanding. So this was some of the suggestions we had for policymakers. For European companies, we said there should be better alignment of a company's and investors' interests with those of employees and societies, but not we shouldn't think of harming the company's objectives, financial objectives. It should, but there should be an inclusive and a dialogue. Long-term relationships for shareholders with the company are also key. And again, there should be a need for credibility on the comply or explain approach between companies and investors. Um, This is, is key. So it's not just let them comply or explain, but build it in a framework, monitor, give a scoreboard at an EU level of who is doing what, which country is performing better for European investors better involvement in the development of better corporate governance practices, engage more with the companies. And here we can take, as I said, an example from the Dutch uh, institutional investor associations, push for the rights to be exercised and recognised and really um, understand also that it is quite all right to develop the governance without affecting a company's value. Again, all of this is key because we are, as I said, in the pandemic times, we need to rebuild the capital markets. We still have a problem of more debt to equity for companies. We need to incentivize that equitization of, of the economy. And that is really key if we want to build long-term investments. But also, there is an opportunity. We can build an opportunity with private and public markets. So we need to develop which which uh, which is doing what? Can we let, for example, pension funds invest in private markets? Is that an opportunity or is that an issue for corporate governance? Again, this these are all questions that are really at the start of this whole debate on capital markets union. And what is also important in Europe is the change and the focus, let's say, on further developing a European social model. This has always been a difficulty, because of course, a social model means you have to protect those that you that you that you want to give opportunities for. So retail investors, but employees, people in the street, uh, thinking of what a company is doing to all of these and what what are the opportunities. But it is an opportunity to increase stakeholder vision. And I think in that sense, the social model can be an opportunity. Lastly, we had a webinar recently, which you can find on our website, on the challenges for the Portuguese presidency of the EU. We had chats with the central bank governor, with the heads of the different supervisory authorities. And I found it really interesting what Gabriela Figueredo-Diaz, who is the chairwoman of the Portuguese Capital Markets Authority said. She said, we must not fear innovation. But incentivize its development at the service of the market and the investor by understanding and supporting appropriate financial and digitalization literacy and setting smart regulation and smart supervision. Innovation and smart supervision are new words in policy dialogue. And that, for me, is key. I like the idea that we're open to innovation, to blue sky thinking. That is what we're going to need when we discuss corporate governance. Thank you.